Reformed Church. Last week, remember, we had talked about the whole night and day concept. And uh, when Jesus comes, it's called the morning. And when he, you know, retreats to heaven, it's called the night now, as far as the age is concerned. We're always of the day. We have the day perpetually on the inside of us. But for the age, for this world, it's called the night right now. It's, what, it's the time period in which we live in. The Bible actually says the night is far spent. I think it's in Romans 13. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. And he's just talking about Jesus' second coming, um, calling it the day. So we went over that. Won't go over that again. Uh, but just, just to sort of rehearse that in your mind. One thing that may, if we get that far tonight, may be very important tonight is that marriage concept, if you guys remember that we went over last time, um, that we are married to the Lord. The Bible even talks about in Ephesians 5 that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ and the church are a symbol of husbands and wives. And um, we went over some things last week about how we are, the same way that when a person sleeps with another person, they're one body with that person. The Bible says they become one flesh, um, literally. I mean, that's... I, if you wonder what that means, I assume that that's literal, okay? That they literally become one flesh. Um, and, uh, you know, I won't explain the birds and the bees to you, but so when we come into union with the Lord, though, it says we're one spirit with him, okay? And that, that verse is in um, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, um, 17, that when we're joined to the Lord, we become one spirit with him. But that is actually called the marriage, all right? Um, it's very important. We have content on baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, um, you know, sometimes when you're explaining certain concepts, um, it, it might be sort of out of left field for some people, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that first time, right, that you receive the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. We, we've gone through a lot of um, biblical proof for that, but for right now, let's just call it when you first receive the Holy Spirit, um, when you first get saved, he comes on the inside of you, and that's when you get, quote, unquote, married to Jesus. You become one with him. Um, Jesus really, really beautifully talked about this in John 17. I'd encourage you to read that on your own time. I'll give you the reference just so that you can read it on your own time, but the verses I'm particularly referring to in John 17 would be like verse 11, and then also verse 20 through, eh, it's like 20, 21, a few verses in there. Um, essentially, Jesus talks, he's speaking to the Father, and he's praying that we would all be one in him, in Jesus and in the Father, the same way that Jesus and the Father are one, that we would be one in them. And that's talking about that marriage, that union that we have now with the Son and with the Father, that we have the same Spirit that they do, and we've been joined to the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, we've been made the same as Him. Um, and so, uh, so anyway, there's probably a lot to say about that, but that's called the marriage, when the Holy Spirit first comes to live on the inside of you. One controversial thing that I think people, a lot of people might find a little bit, um, you know, that they don't agree with it, um, I wish I could go over the biblical evidence for this, but in Acts chapter 2, um, the thing that people would rightfully call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, they do mistake that for like a second occurrence, right? Uh, it, it, it's taught largely, in, especially certain denominations, that that is a second occurrence after salvation. Uh, man, I could, I could bring you so much stuff, uh, 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 biblical proof to show you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which Acts chapter 2, when the disciples were gathered there and the Holy Spirit fell, that that is, in fact, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, true, but it's just not a second occurrence after salvation. Peter said that baptism now saves us. Um, the Bible says that we are baptized into one body. That means baptized into the body of Christ. 
the Bible says that we're baptized into Christ Jesus. Um, and yes, when it says baptism in all the verses I just quoted to you, that is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because I believe it's in Ephesians, it says there is only one baptism. Okay, so th there is no two different kinds of baptism. All right, there's only one real one, at least. The water baptism is just the fake one, the symbolic one, that points to the real one, and the real one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's only one baptism, okay? So, so when the Bible says you're baptized into Christ Jesus, you're baptized into one body, baptism now saves you, as um, uh, Peter says, uh, these are all things that are referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it says it saves us, it adds us to the body of Christ, and now puts us in Christ Jesus, all right? So it's very, very important for us to understand that. Acts 2 is when the disciples were first born again. Um, some people may agree with that, some people may not, but we're going to have to move on from that. So, uh, so anyway, just remember all that stuff um, as we move through this. Um, in particular, I'll, I'll mention one more thing about this Acts 2 thing before we start the timeline, and that would be that in Acts 2, when they receive the, the Holy Spirit, it actually says, in particular, the Holy Spirit fell. It's that they heard the sound of a you know, great like rushing wind, and uh, when they heard the sound, it said it filled the house where they were sitting. There is so much to say about that. In this very series that we're doing right now, the We the Temple series, I taught one called uh, water, uh, the Water to Wine Timeline. Listen to that if you have more questions about this, because basically, um, and, and this is going to be very important for something that I hope we'll talk about tonight, that... Um, notice it says that the Holy Spirit came like a, this great rushing wind, and it said it filled the house where they were sitting. It filled the house where they were sitting. The house itself that they were in at the time is symbolic of their flesh. That's why it says that the Holy Spirit filled the house where they were sitting. Believe it or not, this is a symbol of, and the water to wine timeline goes into this deeper, but it's actually symbolic of how you receive the Holy Spirit, okay? House where they were sitting is actually sort of a parallel to, because the house represents their flesh, the sitting actually represents um, not working, okay? Uh, if you look at our glossary for both those words, you'll find the word house and the word sitting is both on our glossary. Um, house is representing their flesh, sitting is representing their flesh not working for something, and this is actually the parallel to in Galatians chapter 3, which you can throw up behind me if, you, if you'd like. Um, it's in the beginning verse of Galatians chapter 3, and it says that, uh, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? What that means is, when you first received the Holy Spirit, you weren't working for it. You couldn't work to receive the Holy Spirit. You could say the Holy Spirit filled your house while you were sitting, okay? Not working. That's how you were able to receive. If you were working and not sitting, the Holy Spirit would have never filled your house. You kind of get where I'm coming from with that? Um, so it's a parallel to Galatians chapter 3. On one hand, which you can see here, this only what I learn of you in verse 2, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. In other words, did you, did you get it while you were up and standing or did you get it while you were sitting? Right? So that's one thing. But there's another parallel that this whole filled the house where they were sitting thing comes into play, and that is the wedding at Cana. Also symbolizes the baptism, or as we would say at this church, truthfully and biblically, salvation. Uh, the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2 um, there is a wedding, we said last week, right? Jesus and his disciples were invited, and they're the only ones that are said to be invited. I'm not saying they were the only ones to actually be invited to the wedding. They're the only ones that are named to be invited because it's symbolic of a wedding between Jesus and his disciples, right? That's what it's symbolic of. And at this wedding, how did Jesus and his disciples, quote, unquote, symbolically get married here? Well, it's symbolized by a water pot, right? Then Jesus fills the water pot with water. Water is a symbol, a symbol of the Holy Spirit here, and you can see how do we get married to Jesus? By our water pot being filled with water. In other words, the receiving of the Spirit, the water, on the inside of us, drinking in the water, as John 4 calls the Holy Spirit, drinking in the water to our water pot, 
um, this vessel, this earthen vessel that we have, um, when you drink in the water, that's how you get married to Jesus. We just said, right, from, uh, what was it, 2 Corinthians? Um, 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians? What did I give you there? Um, 1 Corinthians 6. That we become one spirit with the Lord. Well, how did you become one spirit with the Lord? Well, when your water pot was filled with water. When your, when your, when your vessel, when your body was filled with the Holy Spirit on the inside of it, right? Um, the other thing that's important, though, so you kind of see, right, this whole, that when they received the Holy Spirit, the, the wind filled the house. The Holy Spirit filled the house where they were sitting, right? Then they weren't, they weren't working. This is what it's symbolic of, right? Filling their house when their house wasn't working for it, just hearing by faith, right? Well, the water pot was filled with water at what time? Well, the water pot was filled with water. It says, the, the, well, in particular, the water pot is made of stone. The word stone in the Bible means still. Again, check our glossary for that, reformchurch.com slash glossary. So stone means still. So you could say the disciples received the Holy Spirit into their house while they were sitting, not working, right? Because that's how we receive from God, not by works, but by faith. And the stone water pot received the water while it was stone, while it was still. You see that? All this. And, and what happened when we first, when, when we're sitting and we receive the Spirit in our house? When we're stone, just like that temple, right? Stone on stone exterior. When we're stone and we're not working for it, but we're just believing the Lord, that's when our water pot gets filled with water. And what's that, what's that called? That's called marrying Jesus. That's why the stone water pots are filled with water at a wedding. That Jesus and his disciples are the only ones mentioned attending. Well, at least not attending, but it only one mentioned in, invited. Okay, uh, so you can see that this whole marriage ceremony thing is um, just us receiving the Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit for the first time um, into your water pot, into your house, that's called marrying Jesus. All right, very important information. So we're going to keep going. Basically, what we've what we've gotten to so far is in chapter one of Song of Solomon. Obviously, Song of Solomon is a, a song being sung. It's a symbolic story about Jesus, who is represented by Solomon, and this woman, the Shulamite, who is uh, representing the church, or specifically the temple, because we've been saying this whole series, right? The Shulamite in the Song of Solomon is described the same way that the building, the temple, Solomon's temple, um, is described, right? And no, no uh, uh, accident here that Solomon is the one that built this temple. And it's actually Solomon, that's, uh, that's a picture of Jesus in Song of Solomon speaking to his temple that he built, right? So a lot of history on that behind us. But anyway, so chapter 1 is actually referring to the Shulamite, this woman who is a, a believer. She just represents believers here, clearly. And chapter 1 is about her under the law. Old Testament saints, under the law, she's working, she hasn't kept her work properly, but then she asks the Lord, you know, where do you make your flock to rest? Where do you feed your flock? We've been through all that. And so Solomon replies to her, and she ends up, it ends up saying that she sat down, she began resting. She describes Solomon, or Jesus, as an apple tree that she sat down underneath and, uh, and fed from him. So feeding, resting, it's an Old Testament saint working at first, realizing they haven't done the work good enough, and then turning to Jesus and saying, you know, I need the rest that you have to give. That's the purpose of the law, right? So we went through that last week. So skipping chapter 1 into chapter 2 now, uh, we already read into chapter 2, but I have a couple new things to share with you about chapter 2 that I didn't say last time. So first of all, let's start in verse 7. Because Song of Solomon is actually a timeline in order, 
from the time of the law all the way until Jesus' second coming. We will see that as we go through this. The law is now behind us here in the timeline. If we have like a little you are here thing, this is right after the law. And in verse 7, I'm going to read this from, let's read the King James first. I have a, a comment to make on this that I didn't make last time. This verse says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up nor awake my love till he please. Okay, so I had a question last week, and that's why I want to address the question here. So I told you that this is not a good translation um, in the King James Version. I have some proof for that. So let me just give, it, give this to you, right, since we're taking our time through this. I'm not, I don't want to rush this. So the reason why that's not a good translation is for a couple reasons. One, it says until he please, almost like, because there's two characters, well, two main characters in this story, the Shulamite and Solomon. And it almost makes it sound like Solomon is sleeping because it says that, you know, uh, I charge you to, that you stir not up nor awake my love until he please. Or at least like Solomon sleeping or as if the woman is sleeping until Solomon pleases to wake her up. And that's just, it, it, it miscombobbles kind of the, the meaning of this verse. On one hand, the word he here is not a, um, it's not a gendered word. All right, so that's why some translations say she, some say he, because it just means sort of like who or which. There's no gender to it, okay? So that's why there's a difference of translation. That's one point. But this should say either a more gender-neutral word there, as would be proper for the translation, but it is referring to the woman here, and I'll, I'll show you. Um, but also, uh, what was another thing here? See how it says that you stir not up nor awake my love? Uh, go to the LSV translation. This is a less important point to make, but I'll just make it anyway. Um, the word my isn't really there, from what I understand in like the Hebrew here. Um, my love, it, it's not talking about a person when it says love. Because when, when it sounds like Solomon is saying my love, it's almost like it's talking about the woman, like my love. But apparently, from what I read, the my love is actually, the word love there's more talking about a passion, an emotion, not, not a person, not a subject. So it's more like, that's why this says, do not stir up nor awake the love until she pleases. That, that's, that's a good translation there. On one hand, because as we read through this book, you'll find out it's the woman that's sleeping. So, so this is about the woman sleeping, not Solomon or something, on one hand. Uh, the second thing is, this is awake the love. Um, this is important too, because if what I read about the Hebrew is correct, again, this is a lesser point here, regarding awaking the love, Earlier, we had read that this woman talks about Solomon as the one that her soul loves. That is referring to faith. If you've read our Obedience of Faith uh, you know, article or, or, or teaching on that, you know that to love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind is referring to faith. And coincidentally, she doesn't say the one I love with my life, even though the church says that today, right? You don't love God with your life. You love God with your soul. And that's what she says, the one that my soul loves. So actually, when he says here, if that Hebrew is correct about awake the love, like it's referring to her love being awakened, that would be referring to um, her faith. Don't awaken her faith until she pleases. Okay, so if you kind of put that all together, okay, so hopefully you kind of understand that. Um, regardless, it is talking about her waking up, though throughout the book, she is sleeping, and it's saying until she pleases. Um, this essentially, as we go through, you'll see, this is essentially... Solomon saying of the woman, she's sleeping right now, which in the Bible, the word sleep is used as like unconscious, unaware. All right, you can read, I think it's 1 Thessalonians 5 for that. But it's like unconscious, unaware, not thinking soberly, not seeing something. And so it's essentially 
showing her lack of knowledge as someone who is still growing in her understanding, growing in her faith, and therefore it calls her sleeping because revealing her lack of knowledge here. And it's Solomon basically saying that don't wake her up until she pleases to be woken up. Okay, um, That's pretty powerful in and of itself because it really does show that it's our lack of knowledge at this point is not because we're on a governor. Like we can't know Jesus fully or something. Uh, we can be woken up. The Bible says we are of the day now, presently. Um, it's true that everyone will know Jesus after he comes back, but we aren't of the day once the day comes for the age. We are already of the day and of the light. We're children of the light. Children of the light is like saying children of the truth right now. So we can be woken up whenever we please. Okay. So I want to dwell on that verse a little bit to give you a little clarity on what that's talking about. Um, if the Hebrew's correct on what I told you, this would essentially be saying, don't awaken her faith until she pleases. And uh, as, you, as we go through, we'll see it is the woman here that is, uh, that, that is sleeping. So anyway, let, let's go to verse 8. All right. So I'm going to reread this, this particular portion because I have new points to make to you. So this, remember this was talking about, uh, you see Solomon here leaping upon the mountains. And we said mountain means heaven in the Bible, right? So uh, last week. For those listening online, this message is definitely not meant to be heard by itself. You need last week. But it says, um, the voice of my beloved, referring to Solomon. Behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a row or a young heart. Behold, he stands behind our wall, looks forth at the window, showing himself through the lattice. I, I commented on that verse last week. But notice in verse 8 again, he's leaping upon the mountains. Mountain means heaven. This is actually Jesus stepping down from heaven at this point. Okay? Even Moses coming down from Mount Sinai is actually a symbol of, of Jesus. The, the way that Moses came down the mountain the first time, representing you know, himself, giving the law. Uh, Moses gave, uh, came down the mountain the first time, representing himself. He broke the tablets at that point, showing that the first mediator coming down the first mountain, Mount Sinai, gave a law in the first covenant that is always broken. But then you notice that Moses came down a second time with glory this time, showing that the second, he represents Jesus the second time he comes down the mountain, showing that Jesus, uh, the, the more glorious mediator, came down the second mountain, the true mountain being heaven, right? Which again, we have proof for that on our glossary. And then those tablets were not broken, but they were put in the heart of the tabernacle, all right? And that shows that God, God sent Jesus down as the more glorious mediator in the more glorious covenant, because the second time Moses came down the mountain had more glory than the first, if you notice. Second Corinthians 3, you can read about that. And so, he did this. He gave a law that wasn't broken because this is a law that now we can keep. And it's a law that goes in our heart. And that he put the law in the heart of the tabernacle. So, and actually that's why the law here is, uh, that same law is in the heart of the temple as well. So, mountain, that coming down the mountain concept is referring to Jesus stepping down the mountain. See, Solomon leaping upon the mountains here, coming to his beloved this is referring to Jesus coming down from heaven, coming to save us, coming to furnish us with all those blessings that he, uh, that he wanted to provide us so that we could be one in his glory. So this coming down the mountain, that's Jesus' first coming. Look at verse 10. The important part that we pointed out, though, last time, read these verses very carefully with me, okay? So it says, My beloved spake and said unto me. So Solomon says unto this woman whom he came to save, right? Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. We said this, this particular phrase. It, this is Solomon comes down the mountain, but before, as he's ascending, right? As he's ascending back up the mountain, he tells the woman to come with him. Come away with me. And this is that following Jesus concept that I won't repeat from last week. That's what that is, right? So he's asking the woman, I'm about to go back to the mountain. And as I'm going to the mountain, I want you to come with me. 
And now we can enter into the same heavenly things that Jesus has entered into in his resurrection and in his ascension, okay? Again, that's all first part um, that I discussed this. So that's what he's talking about here. Really, really cool. But then he goes on in verse 12 to say, um, excuse me, verse 11. He says, for lo, the winter is past and the rain is over and gone. We said in the first part, the rain and the winter, or the snow, that's a symbol of Jesus also. So Solomon had come down the mountain invites the woman to come back with him, and then he tells her the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. In other words, the rain has been sent. Isaiah 55 calls Jesus the rain. The rain has come down already, prospered in the thing to which the Father has sent it, and now it's going away, but I'm asking you now to come with me. Okay? So we went over all this last week, and now look at verse 13. Excuse me, verse 12. I keep getting ahead of myself here. Verse 12. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing It says of birds, but that's in italics italics here. The time of singing is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs. The vine and the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Essentially what he's saying here, this is an invitation from the Lord to the church here, or to believers, that when Jesus came down the mountain the first time, he came to furnish us, right, all of these blessings that he's calling us. the flowers, it's a time of flowers, a time of singing. The fig trees put forth her green figs. This is talking about like manifestation that Jesus provided us in his first coming. And then he's inviting her to what? To come away with him. Um, there's so much I could say about this, so let me just dwell on this for one more moment, okay? I just don't want to jip you of this. So essentially what this is, this is Jesus coming down. And we know, right, that Jesus was already in heaven before he came in his first coming. We already know that Jesus didn't need any more glory. Jesus already had as much glory as he could possibly get. He had as much manifestation with the Father as he could possibly get. When he came down and then returned to heaven, right, um, this return this time, he came and died so that we could have all the same things that he has always had from the foundation of the world. That's John 17. So Jesus already had all these things. He came down, gave it all up, died for you, so that now when he goes and returns to this glory, now you can come with him into the glory. Read John 17. It explains everything I'm telling you right now. He said, I've, he told the Father in John 17, I already have the same, this glory that I've shared with you, Father, from, from the foundation of the world. Jesus didn't gain anything out of this whole thing. What happens is, if you read John 17, when he was ascending to the Father, and interesting, John 17 is actually a prophecy as if Jesus is ascending already, has already died on the cross. Very interesting. He says, I've already finished the work you gave me to do, and now I'm coming to you, Father. And as I'm coming to you, I'm praying that they would be filled with the same glory that we share, that they would have that same glory and be united with us in that same glory that we've shared from the foundation of the world. So you see, this is Solomon here, who's on the mountain, you could say, he already has everything, but he comes down to the one that he loves to die for her, right? And this is that leaping upon the mountain, that's Jesus' first coming, and furnishes all these blessings to her. And again, it describes it as the flowers and all this manifestation that he brings to her so that now when he goes back into this glory, he says, now I've provided you the same glory that now I'm entering into. So when you take part in these quote-unquote flowers, like the lilies right on the outside of the temple. When you take part in this, you know, I don't know what it all specifically means, like the putting forth of figs and the time of singing and all that, but it's talking about the manifestation of the Spirit, right, that we can now uh, receive through Jesus' first coming. First of all, I'd also like you to point, uh, I'd like to point out to you too, uh, this is his first coming, not his second coming. 
right? That, that's the beautiful thing about this, right? Jesus only paid once. We're always, we're always you know, uh, fighting for that at this church, that it's his first coming that we get all these sort of goodies, not, not the second coming. Anyway, so he comes and furnishes all this. And so when he says, come away, he's saying, I, I was already in the mountain, but now I came down and died for you to bring heaven to you, to give heaven to you so you can enjoy all the manifestation of heaven so that as I'm ascending into this glory now, you can come with me into these heavenly things. And the way that we come, quote unquote, with Jesus into these heavenly things, as the Chase Me series explains, is that we enter into the things of heaven on the inside of us. Jesus entered into all the things of heaven, and he did ascend, but you don't have to ascend to enter where he went, because God put heaven on the inside of you. The Bible says that now the kingdom of God is within us now. It's just as much heaven as where Jesus is sitting right now on the inside of you. Same attributes, same characteristics, same everything. Uh, This is the jurisdiction of heaven on the inside of you, and that's how you get to come away with him, okay? Really, really cool, and that's that whole following Jesus concept that we discussed last time. So with all that said, he says all this, he goes on, da-da-da, and then um, further confirmation that this is his, his ascension, you can see in verse 16, the woman says, my beloved is mine and I am his, he feeds among the lilies, uh, uh, verse 17, until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, turn my beloved and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bether. That's her saying, until the shadows flee away, remember, that's talking about the morning, it's until the day break and the shadows flee away, that's talking about Jesus' second coming, until that time, Solomon, ascend to the mountains. Go to the mountains. Only this time, again, he's telling her, you can now come with me into all this glory. Now I share it with you now. Okay? Really cool. Here's really what's interesting, though. Let's read Isaiah 55. I read this to you last week, but I didn't give you this, this, this bit here. Isaiah 55 is the parallel to what we just read. While they're getting the verse up, a few attributes of what we just read. Solomon comes down the mountain. He's called the rain and the winter that has come and gone, right? His descension and then his ascension back to heaven. Um, He says the flowers are, you know, it's a time for flowers, a time for singing now, right? Time for manifestation because he came and provided that to us. And then he invites her also to come away with him, right? To the place where he's ascending, she can also enter that as well. Those are all attributes of what we just read. Now look at Isaiah 55. The same exact attributes you read in Isaiah 55. First, it says that the rain comes down and the snow from heaven. We just read that, right? That's talking about Jesus here, actually, when it says the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud, right? Like it's a time of flowers that we just read. Um, it says uh, 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 that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. That just means enough for you and enough to give. Verse, verse 11, so shall my word be. Jesus called the word of God. And he's saying, so shall my word be. So shall my word be what? He'll be like the rain in the snow that comes down from heaven, waters the earth, and makes it bring forth and bud. Literally, what did you see when Solomon descended down the mountain? Time for flowers, bringing forth and budding, right? Like, that's, this is the exact parallel here. Furthermore, Solomon calls himself the rain and the winter, symbolically there, um, and then says it's a time for flowers and singing, etc. And so you see this exactly here, referring not to Solomon, so to speak, but to the Word. The Word. The Word that became flesh, right? Jesus. The Word, he says here, is like the rain that comes down. In Song of Solomon, it says that Solomon was like the rain that came and went and made it bring forth in bud. Here it says it's the word that's like the rain and snow from heaven that calls it to bring forth in bud, right? Jesus has furnished to you every manifestation that you could possibly need in his first coming when he came down the mountain. Now look at this here. So shall my, my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall, uh, uh, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. Okay, verse 12. Watch this. 
Jesus called the rain that comes, furnishes these things, and will not return to the Father. He did return to the Father, but he will not return to the Father until he has prospered in the thing to which God sent him. Just like Solomon. He came to her, leaping upon the mountains. She told him, turn. In other words, go back to the mountains. But he didn't go back to the mountains until he had caused it to be a time of flowers, the, the, the fig tree putting forth her figs. He caused that first. But then what, what was that last characteristic uh, that we saw with Solomon? Um, he came and did all that, but he said what? Come away with me, right? Notice this. Isaiah 55 talks about these same characteristics, but then in verse 12, is this for you? Now it's not talking about the word anymore. Now it's talking about you, the ones that Jesus came for. It says, for you shall go out. You, after Jesus comes, you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Where are we going? You see, because this is saying that the rain, the word, so shall my word be, the rain will come down and furnish all these wonderful things to you. And it won't return until it has done so. And then it will return to heaven, essentially, right? That's what it's talking about. Um, but this says that after the rain comes and furnishes these things to you, provides all of heaven to you, he's going to return to that glory that he shared with the Father before the world began, but he, he'll have already furnished it to you by the time he goes, because he'll prosper in it. So he goes back to heaven, and after he goes back to heaven, we know that we can enter the same things that Jesus entered into when, when, when he is resurrected and, and, and ascended. Because he died for us, now we have a way to receive those same things of heaven that he entered into. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us now, and we can enter those same things of his resurrection now, right? Well, after the rain comes in Isaiah 55, it says that you will go out. You're actually going to exit something, and, and, and you'll be led forth. Where, where are you going? Well, what's ahead of you? It says the mountains and hills shall break forth before you, in front of you. So this is describing someone that's being led out, which this is talking about the earth. I won't get into that right now, but that's what it's talking about. Um, I know that from John 10. It's being led out of the earth, out of the nations here, and then we're being led forth somewhere. Well, where are we going? It says the mountains and the hills are before us. Where did Solomon invite the Shulamite? Back to the mountain with him. He came leaping upon the mountain, furnished all this grace to her, and said, now you can go to heaven the same way I'm going to heaven. But we go to heaven differently than Jesus went to heaven. We, we go to heaven internally. Now, of course, we will be, you know, we will ascend the way the Lord did in his second coming, sure, but, but we have heaven inside of us. Jesus brought heaven down low to us, as actually the, the, the account of Noah explains, actually, believe it or not, right? So, but Solomon went and furnished all these things to her and invited her to come, come away with me. But where was he going? She told him to turn back to the mountains, go back to the mountains. And he t he's telling her to come away. And Isaiah 55, literally, this is what Isaiah 55 in summary says. I'm going to have to end pretty much here. Isaiah 55 pretty much says, if I were to summarize it, that the word of God is like the rain that will come down, furnish all of heaven to you, to manifest through you, and he's not going to leave until he does so. And when he does leave and ascend, you will also be led out of the things of the earth. You will also be able to enjoy those same things, and you're going to be led forth to the mountains and the hills. The same way the Shulamite was invited. You're the Shulamite. You're invited. You're invited to the mountains and the hills that Jesus entered. You're invited to the same kingdom and to enjoy those same uh, uh, you know, pleasures that Jesus entered into in his resurrection and ascension. You're invited. The Lord says, come away to you. And Isaiah 55 is literally the, the, the perfect parallel, including the fact that after the rain comes and furnishes all these things, it says that we will be led forth. 
with the mountains and the hills before us. Um, that, is, um, that is chapter 2. That is chapter 2. She tells him, where were we? We left off at, um, let's see, verse 17, right, where she tells him, this is Jesus' ascension, to, to until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, that's the second coming, to turn and go back to the mountains. And so that's Jesus' ascension. So now where are we on the timeline? If we have the little pin, the you are here pin, where are we? We are, you know, somewhere at like um, Acts chapter 1, where Jesus ascends, right? That, that's where we're at right now. With the invitation now, because Jesus has died and made a door for the sheep to enter into the upper sheepfold where, where the shepherd went, okay, if you understand that. Because that has happened, um, Jesus ascends, and after having furnished everything that he did. So that's where we are on the timeline, Acts chapter 1. Now, this is, this is what's really awesome, okay? This, this should con more than confirm, this should establish your faith in even the, the testimony of the apostles. A lot of people, you know, talk about the apostles even in the New Testament, and they think that, like, they were giving some kind of new revelation, but that's not so. If the New Testament didn't exist, we could teach the exact same things we're teaching right now with just the Old Testament. The, the, the apostles were not called to give new revelation. Okay, this is what's, what's wrong, for instance, with like, you know, like, like the book of Mormon, where people add a book on, and they say, well, the, you added the New Testament, so what's the big deal with this? The New Testament is not new revelation. Okay? It's just revealing and talking about, plainly, the things that the Old Testament hid. That's all that that is. Okay? Like I said, if you could take away the New Testament, and it still stands, all these things. Watch this. According to the apostles, right, according to their testimony that we have in the Gospels and also in the book of Acts, what happened? Jesus came. He died. He died for our sins. He provided a way to heaven, right? hence the veil being torn, exposing the holiest and all that, right? He came to provide a way for us to enter the things that he was entering in after, you know, in his ascension. So that's what the apostles claim. Jesus came, he died, he rose, uh, he went away again, right? And at the time he went away, what do they also claim in Acts chapter 2? They claim, what I just told you at the beginning of this message, that he sent his spirit. They claim that the spirit was sent, filled their house where they were sitting, and they received the spirit of God. Jesus sort of came back, but in a different form. Not in the flesh, but in his spirit. That's their claim, right? Check this out. This is, if we have just read about the law, and then Jesus' first coming, um, and then his ascension when he turns back to the mountain, what, what, should we, what would we expect next according to the apostles' testimony if it's correct? You'd expect the receiving of the spirit right after that, right? Which we know is what? The marriage. When our water pots are filled with water. Well, well look at exactly what happens. Every single thing, every detail in this account is so historically correct. It's just, it's, it's awesome. It's amazing. So look at chapter 3 now, Song of Solomon chapter 3, verse 1. I'll just read a few, uh, I'm going to read you a chunk of chapter 3, probably not the, the whole thing, although I think it's a short chapter. But anyway, Song of Solomon 3, 1. So keep in mind where we are in the timeline. We're right after Jesus' ascension. It says by night, so let's pause, by night. That means it's night. Why, why is it called night now? Because Solomon ascended. So it's night now, right? That would make sense, right? It makes sense with all the symbols we already said. It should be nighttime right now because... Uh, Solomon has come and gone, and when Solomon is, quote-unquote, when he's here on earth, that's the morning, and when he leaves, it's night. So this is after Jesus' ascension. So she says, by night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loves. Remember, again, her soul. We love the Lord with our soul. You don't love the Lord with your life. You don't love the Lord by doing stuff for him. You love him in just your thinking, in your mind, by faith. I sought him, but I found him not. That confused me for a while. I sought him, and I found him not. Um, but this actually makes perfect sense, because Jesus sent it. I saw him and I found him not. He's not there physically. And so this is talking about physically seeing. I saw him and I did not find him because he has ascended, right? He's not physically there. They don't see him right now, right? So that's the case. She says in verse 2, I will rise now and go about the city and streets and the broad ways. I will seek him whom my soul loves, right? 
whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchmen that go about the city found me, to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul loves? So she's asking the watchman where the one whom her soul loves is. Um, a quick rabbit trip, if you want to look it up on your own time, keep this verse up there. Ezekiel 3.17, Ezekiel is actually called a watchman. Okay, so the watchman, I understand, um, this is slight opinion, but it seems to be teachers, to represent teachers. Because um, uh, teachers are called watchmen sometimes, at least the prophet uh, Ezekiel is called a watchman in Ezekiel 3.17, and there's another verse we'll go over later in the, in the um, uh, sort of series here. So let's keep going, though. She talks to the watchman. Again, I'm not going to say much about that. It, this is probably referring to teachers, but the point is she saw him. She doesn't see him right now. Of course, she told him to go back to the mountain. That's why she doesn't see him. The same way the disciples did not see Jesus at this time that we're in right here in the timeline. Um, Solomon says this again in verse 5. Let's look at verse 5. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, to not awaken her, right, until she pleases. If we were to look at the LSV here, I won't have you switch again, but you know that's the right translation, right, until she pleases. So it still said that she's sleeping to some extent, right? Talking about believers' lack of knowledge here. Believers' lack of knowledge, but we can wake up whenever we please, right? It's available to us. It may be night for the age, but it's day for us. So, um, so watch this. Bearing in mind where we are in the timeline, after Jesus' ascension, look at what happens. She looks around. She doesn't see, she doesn't see him because he's not physically there. In verse 6, though, who is this that comes out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all powders of the merchant? Verse 7, behold, his bed, which is Solomon's. It describes him being carried on like this bed, like this chariot. Solomon coming back again. Okay. Interesting, though, quality about this particular coming of Solomon. In verse 6, it says, He comes out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke. If you will remember from the temple teaching that we did, right, when the, the let, me, let me say this simply so everybody understands, even online, the first indwell, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when he comes to live on the inside of you, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, remember, it, it, it actually says in, keep this verse up, guys, but 1 Kings 8, verse 10 says that the Spirit came as a cloud and filled the house, right? That was significant of the, the receiving of the Holy Spirit. When we first get saved and become the temple of the Lord, that's, that's how it's described. The reason why it's described that way as a cloud or coming in a cloud is because cloud is referring to like obscurity, like unseen. So literally, watch this, Solomon comes down the mountain. She sees him. You know she sees him because later it says she can't find him anymore alluding to the fact that she could see him before, revealing that Solomon's first leaping down the mountain here is visible to her. She, he turns back to the mountain. Just so you know, this is all of the things that the apostles claim to have seen with their own eyes, according to even like 1 John chapter 1. Things that they saw with their own eyes, things that they heard with their ears, that they've witnessed about, of the word of life. This is exactly what the Bible says was prophesied to happen, Solomon would come down, but then she wouldn't see him, but then he would come back, but he would come back in, in, in a pillar of smoke. Smoke, mist, cloud is referring to like obscurity, meaning Solomon comes in an unseen way. This, like, I hope you understand this. Like, I'm not making these definitions up. Like, I didn't make the definition of cloud or mist or smoke up before this message. That's been on the glossary for a while before I even understood this, right? So 
you see how the word smoke or cloud or mist, if it's used in a certain way, it applies everywhere. So if cloud, let's say it means invisible or, or not visible or obscure to the vision, right? Solomon coming in, a, in pillars of smoke means he come, he's coming, but you're not going to see him. How awesome is that? Watch this. He comes down. Um, but you know what, though? Before we even, we even go, I did skip a verse on you. So we have this. Look at the previous verse in verse 4. I, I skipped this verse on you, but it's cool that we're reading this now. It says that it was but a little that I passed from them, from the watchman. Remember she asked the watchman where, where he was? But I, found, but I found him whom my soul loves, and I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. Then, verse 6, who is this that comes out of the wilderness uh, 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 like pillars of smoke? She doesn't, she doesn't know where Solomon is, and then she says, oh, I found him. But you don't know yet at that point what condition she finds him in. But she says, I found him, and I held on to him until I had brought him into my mother's house. I don't know what her mother in this timeline means yet. I have like an inkling possibly, but th that aside. Until she brings him into her house and into her chamber, okay? And then sees him coming in pillars of smoke or like pillars of smoke. The same that the Holy Spirit is said to be indwell the temple, in a cloud. So clearly what this is, this is the sending of the Spirit, where Solomon, Jesus, came back again, but he came back in obscurity into our house. This is the first time she's saying here that she brought him into her mother's house, into these chambers. And again, I already taught you at the beginning of this message that that is symbolic there of how we receive the Spirit, when we receive him into the house in which we're sitting, for instance, right? The house is a symbol of our body. So she brings, watch this, she brings Solomon into this house, into her chambers, but he came this time in, at like, like pillars of smoke, meaning he came unseen in obscurity to dwell inside of her. There's a million different parallels just like this. Even like in our Joseph timeline, it's the same thing where, where Joseph goes to the Gentiles and goes into the house, if you guys have heard that message, and goes into the house of the Egyptian. It's also representing Jesus returning and, and dwelling inside of us. But that aside, so you can see this is the receiving of the Spirit, and I just had a few more verses to read to you. Let's, for the sake of time, because I don't understand most of this anyway, skip from verse 7. You can throw verse 7 up there. It says, Behold his bed, which is Solomon's. Three score valiant men are about, about it, all the valiant of Israel. It describes these, it says men that are with him. I don't know what that represents yet, but clearly Solomon is coming like pillars of smoke, meaning unseen and in obscurity. Verse 11 Go forth, all ye, O ye daughters of Zion, and behold King Solomon with the crown wherewith his mother crowned him in the day of his espousals. No, that means his, his, his wedding day. How awesome is that? This, do, you, do you realize what you're reading and how, how legitimate your faith is in the things you believe? This is thousands of years written before Jesus came. I want to show you the legitimacy, and we're not done with this either the legitimacy of what you believe and the legitimacy of the apostles' testimony that we've been testified to, that, that that's a real thing, that Jesus really came and did this for us. Okay, watch this. And I'm basically closing here. And that is this, that Jesus came and he came down from heaven. A man would come from heaven. He would come and provide all these things to us before he ascended. And after he ascended, he would, of course, invite us with him, right? Which is, which is what at least we at this church believe, right? The church broadly is catching up to that one. But nevertheless, though, that this happened. And after he ascended, that this, his spirit was sent. And Jesus returned, but not visibly. But he, he would return 
in, in, in obscurity, right? They received his spirit on the inside of their house, and that is the day that they got married to Jesus because it's called a wedding when the water pot gets filled with water, okay? The day that Solomon came to the one he loves, after having provided it first, but the day that Solomon came to the one that he loves to come into her house is called here the day of his espousals, his wedding day. There's, I, I could go on for even longer about this, but I'm going to basically end this here. On top of that, this is the real beautiful thing about the Jesus that, that you know, okay? What Jesus wrote this for you, okay? That, like, you have to understand this, that this was written by God. And you shouldn't just take that just because, but the Lord will, will show you that this is from him, okay? And it's evident even from the things I've been saying tonight, that this is inspired by God. But watch this. The Lord wrote this for you. And he says here, he comes in pillars of smoke um, in the day of his espousals and in the day of the gladness of his heart. Literally, what this is saying is here, and we'll see if I can say it without getting messed up here, but that the, what he's actually saying, what the Lord wrote in Song of Solomon is that the day of the gladness of his heart, his happiest day is the day that he married you. That's what that says. That's what he wrote. That, that's the day of the gladness of his heart. It's the day that he married you. I don't think you need another person to satisfy you for the rest of your life if you got a hold of that. You just don't. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with getting married, having a girlfriend, having a boyfriend, if it's correct and it's godly. But I'm just telling you, when you know that, whose approval do you need? What, what, what else do you need? Other things are extra as a help, and there's nothing wrong with that. God will encourage that many times. But I'm just saying... When you understand that God is telling you that the day of the gladness, this is referring to Jesus, the day of the gladness of his heart is a day that he married you. The day that he married you is the day that he came into your house in obscurity. Granted, you didn't see him in smoke, but uh, he came nonetheless, and he was joined and became one spirit with you, and that's his happiest day was the day he married you. Yeah, I'm going to stop there because then I'm just going to screw me up if I say anything further. But um, that's awesome. That is awesome. That is so satisfying, right, to us to, to understand that this is uh, how God sees us. And as you go through this, of course, well, I'm done right now. As you go through this, you know, you'll see the, uh, the, um, this kind of love song back and forth between the church and between Jesus. But it's such a cool thing to see that this is um, the way the Lord perceives his becoming one spirit with you. And uh, as we go forward, it's very interesting. From this point in the book, for the rest of the book, only now, it, leading to the next chapter, because that's the end of chapter 3, does he call her his sister and his spouse? Not, not before it, but only after, because he just got married to her. Now he calls her his spouse, which we are today. As believers, why? Because we've got our water pots filled with his water, because we've had Solomon brought into our house. Um, and uh, anyway, really, really awesome stuff. This is, again, this is the parallel to the Joseph timeline. For, for the confirmation, Joseph um, came to, if you notice, Joseph, who represents Jesus, came to the sons of Jacob in a coat. That's represent Jesus came to the Jews in flesh. And when the Jews rejected him and threw him into a pit, as Jesus was, after he died, he went to the pit under the earth. But Joseph rose again, right, out of the pit. And after jo Joseph rose out of the pit, which represents, of course, evidently, Jesus rising out of the pit at, in his resurrection, because the sons of Jacob had rejected him, um, he went and said to the Gentiles, just the way that Joseph went to the Gentiles. But when Joseph went to the Gentiles, he didn't go to the Gentiles in a coat. The same way that Jesus is not amongst us right now in a coat, in other words, in his own personal flesh, but he's in our house. And it says, then Joseph was in the house of the Egyptian. 
And that shows that right now we have Jesus with us, but he is unseen, pills of smoke. Us Gentiles, because the Jews have rejected Jesus for now, um, Joseph is inside of us right now. So th there's a lot of things like this in the Bible, but I just hope that this, on top of being just awesome truth and learning about God's love for you, uh, that it also confirms your faith that what, what you believe is being tested and tried and proven as we go through these things by prophecy. And the testimony of the apostles is correct because uh, you can see these things. God's been saying this for thousands of years. When Jesus finally showed up, um, God was just hoping that people would recognize him because he'd been saying it for so long, right? This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And it has. So anyway, awesome stuff. We hope you enjoyed this message from Reform Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this uncommon truth out to the world. If you'd like to support this good news, you can do so at reformchurch.com give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reformchurch.com.